Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today started his martial arts journey at age four. Over a 10-year stretch on the tournament circuit, was a four-time national champion in forms, won two national weapons titles, and was a top-five rated middleweight fighter. After retiring from competition, he focused on his film and television career with roles in such notable titles as China O'Brien, Shoot Fighter, Walker, Texas Ranger, Martial Law, and as Scorpion in Mortal Kombat, and so many more. He currently holds the rank of 9th-degree black belt in Red Dragon Karate, the style founded by his father. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Chris Casamasa. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I've wanted to chat with you for a while. Actually, obviously you would never remember this, but I met you one time at the Diamond Nationals in the early 90s. I was there just watching some friends compete. Got to watch you, and, and I think I might actually have your autograph on something in a box. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, hold on to that. might be worth money someday. <laughs> Hey, you never know. You never know. I, I save all that stuff. So you never know. <laughs> well, what I want to do is I, right I know it says you started at age four, but what do you remember about that? Was it, was it your, I mean, obviously with your father being who he was, was it your decision at all? Did you have any say in that at that age? Was there something that made you want to study or did you, was it like, you're my kid, you're joining martial arts? Uh, that was a combination of all of the above of what you just said. Okay. Um, listen, my dad uh, was my, my, when I was young, my dad was my hero. Uh, you know, he still is. Is my original inspiration for wanting to do martial arts, and he was always at the studio. So I figured out early if I want to be around dad, then I've got to be at the studio. And so when I was four, I went in to, to start classes, and um, you know, he said, "Listen, you can start training, but I only have one rule, and that is you cannot stop training until you make black belt." And you know, four years old, you don't understand what that means. <laughs> there's no there's no grasp on reality even at that point. It's, yep. You know, you're four years old, you have trouble remembering your name. So I was like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And uh, you know, it took me six years to get uh, to get to black belt, and I even failed my very first black belt test. Wow! Which is uh, yeah, and because you know, I thought, well, hey, it's my dad, and I'm going to pass, and <laughs> I don't really need to practice, and nothing could have been farther from the truth. And uh, you know, it taught me. Listen, that at that young age, it taught me a lot of lessons. Okay. Uh, number one of which is is discipline and focus. Right. If you mm-hmm. want something, you got to work hard to get it. It's not just going to be given to you. And um, you know, don't give up to achieve your goals. And those two things really served me well so far in my life. Life. So he was tough on me, but I, you know, I give him all the credit for giving me that discipline and focus. Nice. Once you hit that black belt, then what was it that made you want to keep going? Uh, you stuck with it. So what, what was it about it? You know, it, I, it was a drug. I mean, I was addicted to it at that point, you know, at 10 years old and, you know, listen, this is well before the internet or anything uh, could distract us from day to day things. So there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, you either played sports or you're out playing with your friends on your bike or doing karate. And uh, my thing was doing karate and, uh, you know, I, I, my dad said, you made black belt. So, you know, if you want to stop, you can stop. And I was like, no way am I stopping. I, I love this too much. 
And nice. uh, so, you know, I just kept moving forward and doing it. Nice. So normally this is where I ask my, my guests, what do you remember about your first instructor? Obviously, you know, with it being your dad, just what are some things that stood out that you, you remember? Maybe like the way he taught or, you know, some things that are still in your memory from the, those first couple of years, maybe. Yeah. My, listen, my dad's a very dynamic personality. And uh, I always say if, if Elvis Presley and Randy Macho Man Savage had a baby, it would be my dad. <laughs> Like That's he had crazy. that kind of over the top dynamic personality, but it made learning from him fun. He was very engaging. Mm-hmm. He had great stories and you know, the way he ran a class, you know, and not only did he, you know, he learned martial arts in Japan, but you know, he was also in the military. So it was very structured, very strong, very focused. And there was, you know, it was serious, but there was also the element of, we can also have some fun. And that was probably the biggest takeaway that I got from it. It's like, he was one of the first people I ever remembered that made learning something serious fun to learn nice it was never boring with him do you have an example kind of how he did that uh yeah i mean we would have a a serious class working on stuff and then he would pull out we had this uh six foot high folding mat that he would stand up vertically uh at the end of the kids class and literally we had to run at this mat full speed jump up to the top of it hold on and then he would let it go and it was like a it was like a disneyland ride we it would fall down and we'd be holding on to it and then we had to roll off of it so he was teaching us how to do judo and what's called yukimi, which is the art of falling mm-hmm. uh, from a six foot height without picking us up and throwing us six feet in the air. Right. But we had to climb up this mat, run up this mat and jump on it. And we would ride the mat down. And when the mat hit the ground, we had to do our break fall on it. Wow. Uh, and it was probably what it was probably one of the most serious things we did, but it was so fun. Like me and the other kids in class couldn't wait to just go running at that mat and dive at it. Now that, I mean, he had to be one of the first instructors doing, cause I mean, now that's kind of commonplace where instruct, you know, they're hiding, hiding exercise and games and stuff and classes are fun to keep kids interest. He had to be one of the first, and you're definitely the first from back in that area that I've talked to that has said an instructor did something like that. So that's kind of groundbreaking back then. Absolutely. Well, listen, my dad was all about groundbreaking, you know, in the 1960s, he did something that was unheard of. And he started combining martial arts styles. Listen, mm-hmm. my dad has black belts in 10 different styles of martial arts and he, he loves them all, but never really loved one more than the other. So, you know, in the sixties, he started combining styles and for people that have been around for a while, if they've been in the martial arts for a long time, you know, back in the day when martial arts first migrated from, from Asia over to the United States, it was very, there was this, this weird, like fake tradition of if you were a Japanese stylist, you can only do Japanese karate. If you were a Korean stylist, you can only do Korean karate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chinese style, you know, you do Chinese karate. You didn't, you never crossed the streams as it were. Right. Uh, but my dad was like, uh, you're not going to tell me what to do. Like this is America and I'm American. The last four letters of American are I can, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and he knew the stuff, like he learned it. So he started putting it together and, you know, and this is, this is a fun fact. Listen, mm-hmm. and, and my dad doesn't get enough credit for this. My dad originated American martial arts as we know it today. You know, mixed martial arts. I could throw a rock and hit a mixed martial arts school from here. <laughs> yep. But we were doing that in the 60s. We were doing it before it was cool. We've been doing it for 57 years. And, and you know, whenever I talk to people, I'm like, he deserves the credit for it because he's the guy that pioneered that, you know, and he moved from the East Coast to California and kept it going out in, out in the California. So that's uh, so what we tell people. We're, we're the American original martial arts that's really cool i mean just knowing that he was doing that back then and mm-hmm. like you said i mean i've talked to other people are like 
they were very strict. Like I actually had even even in the early nineties, I had a, a Taekwondo instructor that I had my initial original Taekwondo instructor that found that I was taking Aikido and threatened to throw me out of his school because I was taking another right. style. I'm like, are you serious? So yeah, yeah. that's that's crazy. At what belt level, what age did competition start for you? That's something that became super important and a big part of your life. When did that start? Uh, you know, I was competing in the color belt even when I was a young kid. There were a lot of local tournaments and, and things like that. And we would compete. You know, back in that day, there were only maybe a dozen tournaments a year. Now there's like a dozen tournaments a weekend. <laughs> yep. So, you know, they, it was it, tournaments were a, were a bigger deal as far as the status of them back in the day. So, but I had all, been competing off, off and on ever since I was a kid. When I got into a teenager and and became, you know, in the adult division, it's 18. So right when I was 17, I really got bit by the tournament bug a lot. And that's really, that was the moment, you know, I started going all over the state of California competing wherever I could. And then, you know, I got killed, by the way, I, I, I did not have success early on. I, okay. you know, I would get a third place here, or a fifth place there. Very rarely would I get a first or a second place. But then through competition, I sharpened my skill and I got better and better. And third place became second, second became first, and then first became grand champion. And I was like, all right, I got this, man. I'm ready for the pro tour. And then when I was 18, I go, I'm, I go, I'm going out on the pro tour. I'm going to win everything. And I got crushed. <laughs> I got crushed because it's like going, it's like going from college to the pros, right? You're like, oh, I'm great yep. in college. Yeah, 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 this ain't the pros, kid. Like, welcome <laughs> to the big leagues. So I went on the pro tour and my first, actually my first three years, I think I won a total of three trophies, four trophies wow. in three years. And that's competing. You're talking about seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times a year on the national level. Mm-hmm. But again, I was like, okay, so guess what? I have nowhere to go but up. Like all these people are better than me. That same thing happened to me on the local level. Like I can beat these people. I truly honestly believe I could beat them. And I, and I would talk to the guys and the girls that were the number one competitors in their respective divisions. How did you do it? How did you do it? I hired a couple of them to train and learn from them oh, wow. so that I could get better as a, as a competitor. And then, and then suddenly year four, year five, my winning percentage started going up. And then the, my last four years on the tour, I was the number one competitor in the world at that time. Nice. So I had to work my way up to it. But again, had I not learned the lessons I learned at a young age about discipline, focus, and sticking with something, mm-hmm. like I, I would have given up those first three years. Like, I suck. I'm no good. I'm going back to local tournaments. But, uh, you know, I, I stayed focused and I, I believed that I could win. Nice. But I put in the work to back up that belief, right? Oh, Believing is only one part. Yeah. You know, you got to be willing to put in the work. That's cool. So then when you started winning, who was your biggest competition? Who was the one you're like, oh, I, I got to beat this guy. I, I, he beat me last time or I got to make or, Oh, there. God, we had such a, we had such a great crew of guys uh, that were competing on the, on the tour at the same time as me. The guys that were ahead of me uh, that I was learning from guys like Stuart Kwan and George Chung and John Chung, you know, Arlene Lemus, yes. those, those, you know, when I was younger, they were already the champions of their, on the pro level. Mm-hmm. So I looked up to them and those are the people that I talked to and work with. But then, you know, when I got up there, I competed head to head with guys like Michael Bernardo, Gabe Renaga, uh, the Pac brothers, Ho Sung and Ho Young Pac, mm-hmm. um, just amazing, amazing competitors. And it was, uh, you know, it was tough, but the cool thing is, is we were always kind of friends afterwards, you know, so it was neat. Yeah. That, I mean, talk about just superstars. I mean, just every name you mentioned, I'm like, yeah, I remember I, I, I watched them compete. Yeah. I watched them compete. I watched them win. That's so cool. So then being, you came from a style that your father created. So when you were competing in forms now, was he taking forms from other styles or did he create all new forms for his style also? Created all new forms for the style. And that was the cool thing, especially, and by the way, 
going, going back to that, where I ruffled a lot of feathers early in my, even the regional career is mm-hmm. at one tournament, I would compete in the Korean division. The next tournament, I would compete in the Chinese division. Next tournament, I would compete in the Japanese division. <laughs> so everybody was pissed off at me because they're like, well, you can't, you're Red Dragon. You have to be, I'm like, but I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And, uh, you know, I remember very clearly, I went in the Kempo division at the internationals, Ed Parker's internationals back in the day in Long Beach. And I want to say this was maybe 87 or 88. So I'm going back way back in the day and I won and they protested the win. Really? Because I wasn't a Kempo guy, but I went in the Kempo division and I did our, our self-defense thing and I won and they were livid with it. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. So it, it got pretty crazy, but it was cool. But when I went on the pro tour, I just kind of stuck in the the American open division mm-hmm. because you, it was like an anything goes division and our style was, is pretty eclectic. So it was cool to be in that division. And you got to use music, which was even better because I was like, all right, now I'm really performing. That's cool. When was the first time you remember seeing music in competition? Because I know it, you know it. It really started sometime in the 80s. Yeah, George Chung and John John Chung. Like John Chung was a real strong traditional Korean stylist, and so was George. But George had a flair for performance and showmanship that I had never seen anybody do before. And he used to compete to the theme from the Lone Ranger. I still remember it to this day. And it was so cool. I was like, oh my God, I want to do that. That is awesome. Uh, So that was really the first time I saw some a performance uh, at a tournament versus just somebody doing a doing a you know strong form. Okay. He was a showman. He was one of the first showmen on tour, in my opinion. So are you uh, glad you got out before this happened? Or do you wish you could go back and do it now with like all the, as much as like the trickster type thing has come into it and it's just taken it to a whole nother level. Do you wish you could do some of that now? Or are you glad you got out before they started that? <laughs> well, that's a combination of a little of both, right? I'm, okay. I'm glad I'm out because my old bones probably couldn't do that now. <laughs> But back in the day, I wish that was around then because I would be all over that. I'd be doing all that stuff. You know, the biggest trick back when I was competing was was the 540. Yep. You know, you would do a 540 and the crowd would go, oh, it would be crazy. Like me, it was me and a kid named Carmichael Simon were the two, the first two hard stylists to ever pull off a 540 in competition. And now like 540 is part of someone's bow. Yeah. Like when they start, <laughs> like it's such a compulsory move now. But back in the day, it was like, and if you did like a one-handed cartwheel, like, oh, now they're doing like double aerials and five sideways twists and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's insane. I think the, the people that are out competing now are so, so talented with what they're doing that that when I do watch it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I'm retired. <laughs> See, and me, the, the first time I ever saw that was the Diamond Nationals in 1990 because I, I came from, before that, I had studied Tung Sudo and Shotokan, so very traditional, and I went down to watch my friend compete in the Diamond Nationals. We stayed for the finals that Saturday night, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, Mm-hmm. I could never do that. First of all, my knees would never take that, but that's just, yeah, it's definitely a whole, and now I go, I, I haven't been there in years, but I watch the videos. I'm like, that's just a whole nother level. It's so cool. But yeah. It's, it's got to evolve. So that's awesome. <laughs> so at what, at what level then do you remember the first time you, you taught? Cause I know teaching is something that's also important to you and you, you've been doing for a while. So when was the first time? Is that something, again, was that something you wanted to do or would, did your dad just be like, you're teaching class today? No, the cool thing about my dad was he was like, you can teach if you want to, never because you have to, because teaching has to come from the heart, right? It's got to be passionate because if people, there's that old saying that, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And really my dad took that to heart with teaching. And that's probably one of the reasons why it was always fun to learn from him. He truly honestly cares about the students that he teaches and, and wants you to be the best. Now, of course, you know, my dad's got a gruff approach to it. He'll yell at you and 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 get right in your face about it but he at the at his heart he cares so for me it was the same thing like if, if you want to teach then it's got to come from your heart and you got to really care about what you're doing 
because you know the, the part the most important part is we're teaching people life saving or life taking skills right and so to do that requires a certain approach and a certain amount of discipline and structure because you don't want to train a generation of super bullies right you're we're we're trying to create superheroes out there mm-hmm. so i started teaching in my early teens and much like my competition career I sucked early on. <laughs> I was bad at it. Uh, you know, I wasn't a good communicator back then, but it's, it's teaching is a learned skill. So, yeah. So then think, thinking back to that, think back to that very first time where you were horrible to now, what has changed the most about your teaching style? Knowledge. Okay. The, the knowledge I have and the way I communicate is 10,000 times different of how I do it today versus how it was back in the day. Uh, just the evolution of it. Teaching has evolved in the same way sport competition has evolved. It has gotten better, way better. And martial arts has never been more popular in America than it is right now. And part of it, you know, part of it has to do with the the exciting dynamics of the tricking uh, and all the extreme stuff that's going on. And part of it is the way that more and more instructors are getting themselves trained up to be better trainers and teachers, right? And that's the other big mistake that people make. They think just because someone's a black belt that they're they're a great teacher and nothing can be farther from the truth. They're a black belt because they earned a black belt. Right. Teaching is another skill. And, and in my opinion, like you should be certified to teach. Just wearing a black belt does not make you a teacher. I know some of the greatest martial artists in the world, but they're broke because they don't know how to communicate the knowledge that's in their head in a way that makes people want to learn from them or want to continue paying them to learn from that knowledge. So the art of teaching is just that. It is an art form that takes years and years to master. Luckily, I've got four decades in it now. And so, you know, I don't know it all, but I'm doing pretty well. You still enjoy it, I'm assuming. <laughs> Love it. Nice. Love it. And so Red Dragon Karate, now it's, it's. I'm assuming like when it, when it first came out, obviously it was, it was a new style. Not a lot of people had heard of it and stuff. And now if I'm looking on the website, you guys have, is it 15 locations? 14, 15, 15 locations? 15 locations here okay. in, in Southern California. Yep. Any plans of expanding beyond California? Well, we do have a, a couple of affiliate schools uh, around the country. Okay. Um, but no official Red Dragon Karate locations outside of California at the moment. It is not off the table. It's just we haven't built the infrastructure yet to make that happen. Uh, we are on track, though, to have 25 locations by the end of 2025. Wow. So things are going well there. And, and if those things continue to go well, we'll look into moving in. I mean, California is such a huge state, right? Yes. Oh, I, could yeah. do, I could do 150. I could do 150 Red Dragon locations in California and still not have enough coverage. That is to how big the state is. But You're in Apple Valley. I actually. Actually, uh, I lived in California in 96, 97. I actually lived in Hesperia. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, I, moved, I, lived, I, I actually moved out there to train in American Kempo. So I, I trained out there with uh, Jim and Deanna Diggs and did some training with Jeff Speakman and Larry Tatum and stuff. And right Yeah, I visited as many schools, but I recognize a lot of these cities because I, I used to work in La Habra. So, yeah, I used to commute 65 miles a day, but I used to drive through Diamond Bar. I used to drive through Montclair. So I recognize a lot of the areas in, in Ontario and stuff. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. I'll have to pop into one of your schools next time I'm out there visiting friends. So Please do. So how would you explain to someone, if you had to explain your style, it's, if someone comes to you, they've, they've – very know very little about martial arts. They're like, yeah, I know what karate is. I or I know what you know taekwondo is. I know what shotokan. How would you explain your style? How would you explain like how it's different from other styles? Well, the good news is I don't necessarily need to explain it anymore. Back in the in the eighties and nineties, we had to explain a lot more. Right. With the advent of UFC and MMA uh, clubs all over the place. Most people are now pretty well educated and understand what mixed martial arts is. Yeah. Our education for most people is simple. It's like, cool, you n- heard about all that other stuff? Yeah, we started that. Nice. <laughs> so it, may- it makes it pretty easy. Like, yeah. That's what I say to everybody. Somebody, every- when I meet people, like, I have a mixed martial arts school. I just look at them and smile and go, you're welcome. <laughs> that's awesome. 
So you talked about the UFC. So I'm just curious then, your thoughts, are you a fan? What are your thoughts on MMA and are, are you a fan? Uh, I'm a fan of MMA. I don't know that I'm necessarily a fan of UFC. I like it. I enjoy, you know, I like, again, I, I like entertainers and showmen. Conor mm-hmm. McGregor, anytime <laughs> he fights, I like watching those fights. Yep. That dude is entertaining, right? So, you know, I'll, I'll catch some of the big championship fights, but there's, uh, there's a lot of loyal fans out there. And listen, UFC is good for business. You know, MMA is good for business. The Cobra Kai TV show is good for business. <laughs> yep. It gets people excited about wanting to do the martial arts. And and listen, it, it, I, I give you a kind of a profound thought of mine, and that mm-hmm. is, it is my opinion that if everyone in the world studied martial arts for just one year, that our world would be a much better place. You're literally the second guest today that has said almost that exact same thing. And I, I want 100% agree completely. Right. Because, of, you know, how we change lives and how we impact the people that we teach and we come in contact with. And, you know, if more and more people did it. So that's why, you know, the more exposure the martial arts gets, whether it's through UFC or Cobra Kai or whatever, the better. So do you think we'll ever see martial arts in the public school system? Well, you can see it right here in Southern California where Red Dragon's embedded in the local school system. You are. Really? But nationwide. Yes, we I are. Did not of know we that. Are. Talk a little bit about how that started and how it's going. Uh, it's going great. And it started because we wanted to reach out and make a bigger impact in the local schools and in the communities. So, you know, it started for us by just giving back. We were donating, you know, goods and services to local schools. And then Red Ribbon Weeks would come around and they said, hey, do you want to come out and do the warm ups? And we came out and did the warm ups. And we said, hey, we want to, you want to do a bullyproof training clinic for the kids to help because bullying is a big problem in the local schools. So we, you know, it just, it was a stepping stone process over the, the course of many years. You know, we've been in the local communities here now for coming up on five decades. So, wow. you know, we're, okay. we're, we're, yeah, we're pretty, pretty embedded in there and uh, it's making an impact in the communities. What do you think it'll take to get it at a national level? More qualified trained instructors and less mom and pop karate shops. The truth. Yeah. I hope. I mean, like I said, I know I've seen it like on, you know, like Chuck Norris had success in Texas and, you know, some other people have had yeah. success. Yeah. He did a great thing. They yeah. kicked drugs out of America. Yep. And I think he's still in like a hundred schools there, his program. But I, I think at one, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, at one point, wasn't he in like two or 300? It was a lot. I do not know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In like the late eighties. But yeah, it's just, I, I tried myself up here. I tried at a, a middle school in Fargo, North Dakota and actually had the assistant principal on board willing to do it, but the school board would not sign off. They thought it was a, a liability and it was, it wasn't safe and they wouldn't even let me talk to them. Uh, they just, they had their minds made up, unfortunately. So, mm-hmm. All right. So how did the Hollywood thing start for you? Is that something that was it? Did you want to do it or did someone approach you? Was it a plan from a young age? How, how did that kind of start for you and, and come about? Um, pretty much the same way that I got involved in the martial arts, right? So my dad was my hero at a very young age. And then when I became aware of the amazing Bruce Lee, uh, I was like, that is awesome. And that dude is incredible. I want to do that too. I think I could do martial arts on screen. Uh, see, I'm crazy. I think I can do all these things. And then I set my mind to it and try to start working to get them. And, uh, you know, people tell me, oh, you, I like when people tell me, oh, you can't do that. That's too difficult. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to try anyway. So, nice. yeah. So I saw him and, and I did it. And then, you know, when I was younger, even while I was competing, I'd done a couple little small movies here and there. My dad was good friends with uh, Shokazugi, if you remember him back in the oh, day. Yeah. He was like the ninja. Yep. Yeah. So, my dad actually helped him launch his film career and, and he ended up becoming the ninja and doing a bunch of, bunch of cool movies. But him and my dad were friends, you know, cause our, their studios were maybe 10 or 15 miles apart. So through him, I got one of my, my very first movie roles in a tiny little film called black Eagle. And then uh, one of my dad's other friends, this awesome martial artist named Tadashi Yamashita was in this movie, sort yes. of heaven. Uh, and I got, again, got in there because 
my dad knew him and my, even my dad was in that movie with me. So it was kind of cool. That's cool. But, uh, you know, and then I, then I got bit by that. I was like, Oh, that's cool. I want to, I want to do more movies. I want to do more movies, but I was competing at the time. So it really wasn't that, that big of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, when I was at the battle of Atlanta, I, I ended up winning the grand championship on that stage. And unbeknownst to me in the audience were producers who were scouting talent for a local TV show. And they came up to me and, and Mike Bernardo and Hakeem Alston and a few other guys and said, Hey, we're putting a TV show together. Do you guys want to be in it? And we're like, yeah, sure. That'll be cool. And uh, you know, then we didn't hear anything for a few months. And then like three or four months later, we get a phone call and says, Hey, remember that TV show? What's going to happen? And we're going to, we're going to have you come down to Florida and shoot the pilot. Uh, and so they flew us down there. We had to do it at Universal Studios, which was cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then that TV show became WMAC Masters. Nice. Uh, that was on for like three seasons. And that was an awesome show. And that showcased the martial arts and kind of like all the core values and character traits that martial arts has, in addition yep. to some really cool fighting. You know, and so again, one one thing, yeah, one thing led to another. We did that, and then the guy that was the fight coordinator on that show uh, went on to do uh, Pat Johnson, by the way, who did not only WMC Masters, but he did the Karate Kid, all yep. the Ninja Turtle movies. Like this guy was the dude back in the day, as far as when it came to having someone fight choreograph uh, for martial arts. So he said, "Hey, they're they're doing this thing for this video game called Mortal Kombat. Do you want to come down and try it out?" and uh, I said, yeah, sure. They, you know, and, uh, and that's how I ended up getting in, in Mortal Kombat uh, was through that going down there. And I, I had all these auditions. I did audition three times for that role. And the funny part was with Mortal Kombat, when, when I went down for the first audition, they told us all the roles were filled. Like there was a room, like maybe 50, 50 guys. And like, listen, all the roles are filled. We just need some background fighters that are real martial artists. And we just want you to come up and show us, you know, your stuff, what you can do. Wow. And we were like, all right, cool. This, we've never been in a big budget Hollywood film and, you know, we're going to do it. And, uh, and the way they had it set up was cool because it was like a tournament, right? And I had just come off the pro tour. So I was like, no, oh, this is right up my alley. They had, a, they had like a, a little ring thing set up and they had the three casting people sitting in chairs at the end of it. So, you know, I watched a few guys go and I'm like, wow, those guys are pretty good, but I, you know, I'm going to do, I want to do something that's going to set me apart. So I go up, it's my turn. I go to do some stuff and uh, I go, you know what? Those guys are sitting in chairs. I can, I think I can clear them. Mm -hmm. So I start doing my form. And then I just run right at him and I do a jumping sidekick right over him. <laughs> and I watch their heads just go back because I cleared them. And then I did a couple of moves on the other side of them and I jumped back over them and then I finished. That's and awesome. uh, I was thinking, okay, I, I, I'm thinking, all right, that hopefully, hopefully they like that. So I get a phone call that night. Hey, we want you to come back. And so now I come back the second day and there's less guys. There's maybe, you know, maybe a dozen guys and they ask us to do some weapon stuff. And I, I did my weapon stuff. I get a call that night. And they say, when well, you come back again, I'm like, oh my God, it's so, and so difficult to get in, in a film. I just want to be a background fighter. And uh, so now I go back to the third day. There's just three of us. There's me and two other guys there. And uh, we're just standing there and they're filming us with the camera. And I didn't know who any of the people were at this point besides uh, Pat, who was the fight coordinator. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, I didn't know who the director were, the producers, any of that. So one of the guys walks over and says, hey, um, would you guys mind taking off your shirts? And this is where my bad sense of humor sometimes gets me into trouble because- I just looked at him and I go, I go, well, if it'll get me in this movie, I mean, I'll go back to your trailer. <laughs> so see, you laughed, right? That was what I was hoping for. But this dude just looked at me deadpan, no expression on his face. And I thought, oh my God, that joke fell flat. And uh, whatever this is, I'm not getting it, right? Wow. So we take off our shirts and, you know, I was, I'm keep myself in pretty good shape. So they're filming us with a movie camera going back and forth. And then all of them kind of go into this football huddle and for like 30 seconds and then the guy who had come up to me earlier who i found out later was the director of the film mm -hmm. right i didn't know he was the director of the film he walks over he shakes my hand he goes welcome to mortal Kombat. you're gonna be scorpion wow so until that time like i had no idea like because they told us all the roles were filled uh -huh. right 
Yeah. So it was just, it was just opportunity, right? Because they always say, oh, you're so lucky. Well, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. I was prepared. My skill level was at the level that they were looking for. I got the opportunity to get there to go to the audition. And for whatever reason, the person who they had as Scorpion, just, they just didn't, they either didn't want him or it didn't work out or whatever. And, and I got that opportunity to play that, that very iconic character. Wow. Did you ever find out who they originally had picked for Scorpion? No. Okay. <laughs> Nowadays, I just say it was me all along. They were just waiting. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. There, someone yeah, someone I, else is just no keeping the seat warm while you while they found the right guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know? I'll give you a fun fact about Mortal Kombat. Did, did you did you know that Cameron Diaz was originally slated to play Sonya Blade? Really, I did not know that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, she had broken her she broke her ankle Ooh. or wrist, and it was unable to do the role. And then they brought in uh, Bridget. Wow. That is no, I, yeah. I I'd never heard that before. Well, little behind the scenes uh, fun fact about Mortal Kombat. Definitely. And then you were in the movie uh, Shoe Fire. That's, that's is that with Michael Bernardo, right? Yeah, with my good buddy Mike Bernardo. Yep, I, I love Mike. I used to love him. Man, he, nobody better with the bow staff. Man, that guy was awesome. <laughs> so fun to watch compete. Right, and so again, again, the evolution of it. Right, so back in the day, the stuff Mike was doing was considered like crazy. Like yep. they, they were, people were going like, "Oh my god, you you can't do that with the bow." Now you look back on what he was doing <laughs> and compare it to what they're doing now with the bow. It's like, dude, Mike, you, you, I told him one day, I go, dude, if you went out and competed now, you'd get like eighth place. Like you probably wouldn't like with what you're doing because of what they're doing with the bow. But you know, listen, that guy with that weapon, yeah, I had never seen anything like that. And uh, yeah, amazing, amazing competitor and a great, also another, a great fighter. Really, I never knew he competed in fighting. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, he was even he was ranked he was even ranked higher than me. Wow. I think he was top two. Okay. Yeah, middleweight fighter. So yeah, yeah he was he's awesome. Yeah, I only only ever saw him do weapons. So I actually had uh, one of his former students on my show, uh, Casey Marks, was one of my guests last mm-hmm. year. So she was fun, yeah. fun hearing her stories about him and stuff too. So I had to look at that. Just, you know, I was pulling up your IMDb and it says uncredited, but you were a tournament guest in the original Karate Kid. That is correct. Yes. So do they just like re- recruit local karate students or? <laughs> no, they wanted to really make it authentic. They filmed that scene at a real tournament. Really? So there's a real tournament going on in the background. And when you see those wide panning shots, it's there. That's that was happening at a real tournament. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. And that was that was that film that was it Cal State Northridge if I remember Cal correctly. State Northridge yeah. yeah okay cool mm-hmm. nice yeah that's that, that's that's the reason I got into martial arts was the Karate Kid so <laughs> that's that's always the top of my list you and ten million other people <laughs> exactly and I, I've had that discussion with people before it's like you know throughout the history of martial arts in the U S there's been a handful of things like that that were just they brought you know the the first probably big one was probably Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon and then the next mm-hmm. was probably Karate Kid. And then you'd jump up to yep. like Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers. Ninja Turtles, yeah. Yep. 100%. And then probably the UFC <laughs> was another big one. Yep. And then you know, Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah, Power Rangers. And then I don't know if there's really been a big one other, other than Cobra Kai. I don't know if there's been a big one really since then. I mean, WMAC Masters should have been, but I, I still think that show was ahead of its time. It, it should have lasted a lot longer. <laughs> it should have lasted a lot longer. I agree with you. We were number one in our time slot for three seasons in a row. That's crazy. And uh, yeah. What advice would you give someone who has never done martial arts in their life? They're thinking of getting involved and they just want some tips on like, what should I look for in a school and maybe some things I should avoid? Easy peasy. Uh, number one, go watch, go watch the classes, uh, go meet the instructors because what you see on the floor is what your child will become. And if you don't like what you see, you don't want to join there. If you don't vibe with the instructors, you don't want to train there. Uh, that's number one. Number two, if they won't let you watch a class, <laughs> head for Z Hills quickly. Yes. Uh, 
and you should also be able to take some type of uh, limited time or, or, or free trial, like, uh, you know, one or two lessons free or, you know, three lessons for $19 or something like that. So you can try it out without making a commitment. Agreed. If anybody get to, wants you to sign up for 24 or 36 months, head for Z Hills. Mm-hmm. You know, the standard agreements for most martial arts, professionally run martial arts goals will run anywhere from seven to 12 months at a time. So you can renew and, and or upgrade as you see fit. But listen also to the other part of it is martial arts, something that takes time yes. to learn and years to master. You know, I've been doing this pretty much my entire life and I'm still working on learning and getting better. So it's, that's the cool thing I love about it is you can't, you can't literally know it all in the martial arts. Right. So those are some important points for parents to do. Mm-hmm. And also go, when you go to the school, take a deep breath. Uh, if it smells head for Z Hills, right? The studio should not smell like it shouldn't smell like feet and bad decisions, right? It should, it should be like any other store that you go into. It should, it should be fresh and inviting and open and welcome. There should be a seating area for the parents. You know, some of the, the, the people that I coach and train and consult in their business, you know, we're putting coffee bars in and, and drink, you know, giving them free waters and Gatorades and things like that. It's, wow. it's servicing the customer. So it's an experience, right? It's not mm-hmm. just some hole in the wall, ratty gym with duct tape on the mirrors. Oh, that's the other one. If you see duct tape on the mirrors, head <laughs> for the hills. You know, okay. <laughs> duct tape on anything really is just a reason for you not to be there. Yeah. And uh, so that's it. All those things matter because- you know, that's, you know, somebody told me that a long time ago. They say, if you want to judge the true quality of a restaurant, go to the restaurant and go to the bathroom yep. because the way the bathroom looks is the way the kitchen looks. That's a great point. So do you really want to eat there? Yep. So that's what I tell people about uh, finding a martial arts school. Is there still schools that won't let you watch? I, I haven't seen one personally since I lived in California in 96. There are. There wow. are. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go check out a ninjutsu school when I was in California. And the guy literally, I called on the phone. He's like, oh, the, we can't have spectators because the stuff we teach is too secret. And I, just, I basically laughed at yeah, him. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, you've got to be kidding As me. you should. <laughs> exactly. But that's the scary part. It's like right. you, some people are probably like, oh, it's secret. I better go sign up and join. Right. Well, what you should have said was, listen, ninjas are supposed to be invisible, so you should let me watch. I won't be able to see you anyway if you're really good at your craft. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Who are three or four names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? My dad, mm-hmm. number one. So Lucas Amasa, yep. number one. Listen, Chuck Norris, just for the exposure, you know what he's done and accomplished. Again, former tournament champion turned, you know, Hollywood superstar. Actually, back in the eighties, yeah. he was as big as as Arnold or or uh, or Bruce Willis or Stallone. You know, back at that time. So he would probably be number two, Chuck Norris. Number three. Think about that. Well, I mean, if you're going if you're going legendary back you know, back history, I would say Dr. Jigoro Kano, who founded oh, judo. Yes. Good answer. You know, uh, that was probably be my top three, I would say. Okay. In all your years in martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that just rises to the top? That's super important to you. You keep coming back to it. I would say, you know, well, there's a, there's a bunch. What would be the one or one or two? I mean, if you can't narrow it down, maybe, but well, I can narrow it down to this because it's probably will sum it up in, for all of it. Okay. What the mind believes the body achieves. I like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. I got a few fun ones to wrap it up. So this one, All right. favorite martial arts book. The book of five rings. Nice. That one's getting, yeah, that's what a, a fourth of my guests have said that one. So that's the, definitely a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's my, my backup one that no one probably says is mm-hmm. a book called secrets of the samurai. And it's super hard to find, but it is such a cool book with so many neat things inside of it. 
Uh, it really does have the secrets of the samurai inside of it. Never heard of that one. I'm writing that one down for sure. That's the reason I added this question because I wanted to add more books to my own library. So do you remember who wrote that one? Oscar Ratti and Adele Westbrook. He said it's hard to find, but I will, I will do my best to very hard to find. find. I believe it's, I believe it's out of print, but you know, with today's uh, modern technology, it's findable. Yeah, definitely. All right. This one, you may not have an answer for some guests do some guests don't. Do you have a favorite martial arts video game? And you can't say Mortal Kombat. Oh, <laughs> just because. Come on. Well, if I can't say Mortal Kombat, forget that's, it. That's just too easy. Because that really is my favorite martial arts video game. Really? Yeah, it, but okay. look, here's the, other thing I did, here's the other thing I didn't tell you about the Mortal Kombat film. Yeah. I was a huge fan of the game. I used to drive 30 minutes a day to go play the Mortal Kombat video game because the closest one to me was in a city called Brea. Really? And I lived in a city called San Dimas, and it was 30-minute drive in my beat-up Volkswagen that barely made it all the time. But I would go wow. there to play that video game, that one and another one called Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair could maybe classify as a martial arts game. Okay. But my two favorite characters in the game were uh, were Raiden and Scorpion, in that order. Nice. Um, they were still, always my favorite characters. So when I got to play you know, Scorpion in the film, it was like a dream come true. I'm like, I'm literally playing one of my favorite characters from this game, and I get to bring it to life. That's awesome. So Mortal Kombat counts, mister. <laughs> oh, there, yes, sir. No. Oh, it's funny because I, I, I worked in a retail store when that came out. Uh, that one and uh, like Tech Industry, all those games. And whenever they came out, we'd, ha- we'd set up the video game system in, in the electronics department. And we'd on our breaks, we'd like tell the customers, I'm sorry, you can't play that. Then we'd go play it for like a half hour. <laughs> so I got, right. to, got to play it like every single day. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, and maybe you don't, but there was a, it, it was a PC game. I don't know if it was ever in the arcade, but it was a, I played it on a Commodore 64. It was just called Bruce Lee. It was, I actually went and found a video of it on YouTube from like 1983 or 84 and man, it was bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I'd never heard of it. I can't believe how much I liked it watching how bad it was, but I mean, I was like 10 years old, so I didn't know any better. Cool. All right. How about a favorite for this one? Now you can't pick W Macy masters favorite martial arts TV show. Can't pick one that you've been on. (laughs) We'll just say that. Well, I can give you a couple of them. Well, if I can't, it's hard because I've, I've been on all of them. So the only one I don't think I've ever been on was Power Rangers. Oh, wow. So Because I was going to say Martial Law with Sammo Hung, but I've been on that. Uh, I was going to say Walker, Texas Ranger, but I've been on that. So, yeah. So I'm going to say Power Rangers. Okay. Of all the ones you've been on, which is your favorite? Well, now, come on. You're lobbing me a softball. WMAC <laughs> Masters. The martial arts gets real. There we go. There we go. So did you ever watch uh, Sidekicks with Ernie Reyes Jr.? In the early eighties, yeah, but that was a was that a TV show or a movie? No, it was it was it, it was, was a movie, right? The initial one was a movie called The Last Electric Night, and then it spun into a series for two seasons. Hmm. Yeah, the, the the movie was Last Electric Night, and the series was called Sidekicks. It was owned by Disney, and I'm hoping one of these days that they'll stick it on Disney Plus so I can rewatch it in actually good quality, other than the grainy YouTube stuff that's out there. Yeah, there you go. This is this could be a good uh, a good trivia video uh, trivia game. Like, <laughs> Pulling out all these uh, obscure, obscure uh, TV series that had uh, martial arts in them. Oh, there's there's some good ones. There's uh, one, yeah. one of my favorites from the early '90s. Another one from the '80s. You mentioned Shokasugi was uh, the master. That was uh, a. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watch it now and I'm like, oh my god! But but one of my favorite, <laughs> yeah, one of my favorites in the early '90s was a show called Street Justice. I don't know if you remember that one or not. Mm-hmm. Car- Carl Weathers, that the guy who played uh, Paul Creed. Yep. It was. It, mm-hmm. it, I tell people now is if you if you remember Sidekicks, it was literally like Sidekicks with adults. So it was Carl Weathers played a cop, mm. and there was this a young. I think he was like nineteen, twenty year old martial artist named Brian. It was played by a guy named Brian Genesee. 
he uh-huh. basically lived with this cop and he helped him solve crimes and stuff. So it was, it was literally the adult version of sidekicks. But uh, yeah. Wow. Think- okay. You win. You win the uh, the trivia contest. You are the you are the <laughs> king supreme nerd. And I say that with love and respect. Oh, trust me. I yeah. When it comes to martial, I've seen. I'll watch anything with martial arts in it. I'll at least give it a shot. And if it's a series, I'll continue to watch it. So, but now I have to ask. Now, are you a fan of Cobra Kai? I am. Okay. That's 50, 50. Some people are like, oh, it's so cheesy. I'm like, yeah, but it's so nostalgic. And I mean, yeah, the martial arts is great, great in it. Exactly. That's the, the thing. cheese is part of the cheese is part of the greatness. 100%. That's why I keep yelling at my agent. Like, why am I not on that show? Hey, they're hopefully getting another season. So I'll keep my fingers crossed. It'd be cool to see yes. you in that. All right. How about this one then? Yep. Now, another one. You can't pick one you've been in. Favorite martial arts movie. Enter the Dragon. Nice. Good answer. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you now that's, that's the classic and that's what most people say, but I'm yep. going to give you one that most people probably don't say. Okay. It is a martial arts movie and that is the matrix. The first matrix Yeah. is one of my favorites. And it's one of my favorites because a, the choreography by those guys, yeah. the choreography was spectacular, but B Keanu Reeves doesn't get enough credit for that because right. he was a guy that did zero martial arts and worked so hard and for so long to make it look believable. He did it. He did just a great job. So that Enter Dragon and the Matrix, I would say, are nice. my two favorite ones. That's one thing that's changed so much in movies. It's, it's like you know, back in the '80s, if you had a movie star that tried to play a martial artist, you could tell they didn't know martial arts. But nowadays, they can right. w- with enough training, they can make anyone look like they're a good martial artist. So, which is also bad for mm-hmm. real martial artists too, because <laughs> they're missing out on those parts. Maybe, but yeah. but yeah. All right. So this one then, just in general, favorite movie fight scene. Scorpion versus Johnny Cage. No, uh, favorite movie fight scene. I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna stick with either and the, the the fight scene with uh, Enter the Dragon. Bruce Lee versus O'Hara. Nice is awesome. And you know, almost any fight scene in the Matrix is yeah. is great. Actually, I'm gonna tell you. No, I'm gonna tell you my favorite fight scene in the Matrix. Opening in the movie, uh, Carrie Ann Moss taking down all those cops. Nice. When that scene first happened, I was like, "This is gonna be a great movie." I agree. That's yeah. I need to rewatch that. I haven't watched that in a while. And a great, and a, listen, one of, and, you know, think of it, there wasn't a whole lot of awesome female action stars at that point. So for her to do that, I mean, I thought it was great. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I need, I, I probably haven't watched it in about 10 years. I, I definitely need to go back and maybe introduce, introduce my daughter it to that. It still movie. holds up. That's the one thing. Yep. Good martial arts scenes, good martial arts movies, they hold up. They all do. I mean, they, mm-hmm. I go back and watch, even like I said, I, I rewatch Karate Kid at least once a year. You know, I rewatch Best of the Best once a year. I rewatch Perfect Weapon once mm-hmm. a year. <laughs> Just because I, you know, I love those movies and I rewatch them whenever I can. And, mm-hmm. I, and I still go online and watch episodes of WMAC Masters, man. And that's, you know, 100%. I, I, I love that show. And I was so happy when, uh, when the, the book came out and mm-hmm. hopefully getting more interest in that. And so let me ask you this. If they decided to like bring that back on like a Netflix type thing and bring back a bunch of the original members, would you, would you do it? I have already been contacted. Really? Yes. That is all I can say at this moment. So the answer would be yes. Oh, oh, oh. oh now you have me excited. Now I'm smiling. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, as soon as you hear anything, you got to let me know because I will promote the heck out oh, of that. Of course. That would be, mm-hmm. wow, that's awesome. All right. Anything at all that we haven't covered, I haven't asked you that you want to make sure we get out there for people to hear? No, man, you've done your homework. You've covered a lot of stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that. When I when I first decided to do this show you know, and started thinking about it like two years ago, you were one of the first ones on my list that I wanted to get on here. I, I went back and t- mm-hmm. talked about like people I used to watch compete and stuff and you know, different, you know, a lot of these people I never thought would say yes. I mean, I, I, 
I started the show on a whim and I actually had, before I launched the show, I had 22 episodes fully recorded and produced ready to go. <laughs> so wow. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, some people first said no. And then they're like, they're like, Oh, you had this person, this person, this person. I, yeah, sure. I'll do it. So yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you'll actually be episode 96, which is kind of cool. You'll be my, my first uh, episode of uh, 2023, January 5th will be your episode. So I'm super excited about it and just, it, I appreciate this and I've, I've loved talking to you and I will definitely, when I, next time I get to California to visit friends, I want to pop in and check out one of your schools and I love what you're doing with the school system. Any links you want me to promote, anything like that, I'll put a link for your school out there and anything else uh, when the show comes out, but uh, anything I can do to help you in that way, just, just let me know. I truly appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Had a great time. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.